Business Class is brought to you by the Tourism Academy, harnessing the power of science, business psychology, and adult education to advance the tourism industry and build sustainable economies. Learn how to engage your community, win over stakeholders, and get more visitors at tourismacademy.org. Want to go ahead and introduce yourself? So, I'm Scott Beck, President and CEO of Destination Toronto. How long have you been here? I've been here two years and seven months. How is this most like where you grew up? Well, I grew up um, in the mountains of the Intermountain West. My father was in the ski resort industry, so I grew up at a ski resort. Uh, and I think there was a really great um, sense of belonging. Small community, uh, sort of all tied into the same ethos of you know, living in a town, supporting the ski industry, moving forward that way. Um, and there really is a collective ethos in Toronto that feels so much like that. The scale is very different, but the ethos is here. I mean, it really, it, it is it is hard to explain without living here how there is this common view of an ethos here. If you could describe the city with one word, what would you use? Diverse. And... When you think about diversity, what are the things that you appreciate most about it? The fact that it's part of the community is not, it's not a statistic. Um, I think um, Mayor Tory, the mayor of Toronto right now, said it, I think, best. You know, the diversity is, is a statistic. Inclusion is the goal. And diversity here really feels inclusive. Um, and it's... it's Again, part that's sort of the what. The why is still sort of I'm learning that. I'm still a new Torontonian, so I'm still learning the full scope and scale of why. Um, but when you look at a community that 52% of its residents are born outside of Canada, not outside of Toronto, outside of Canada, um, and that, that stems from good public policy, you know, immigration policy, um, from you know abilities to grant visas and, and, and various things, that part of it is, is really how I would define it. Is it is not just a statement; it really is a perspective. How does that diversity shape the consumer experience as a visitor? Well, I think first and foremost, everyone feels welcome here, which is why I said there's this collective ethos. You really feel like part of the community, even though you're not, because you can literally see yourself. Anybody can see themselves in this community. It, it doesn't matter. From your sexual orientation to your age to your ethnicity, it, it is all here. And that, that, that is pretty incredible. And so that manifests itself in first and foremost, the food. It's just, it's a great food city, probably by many measure. I mean, I like to quote Anthony Bourdain because I live here now. It's the most underrated food city in North America. I mean, it really has a food culture that is influenced by people literally. Um, and then I think sort of the whole culture is that relates to art and culture, to the things you see both in visual arts, performing arts, and music. All that stuff blends here in a really unique way. If not Toronto, where would you be? Oh, man. Um, it's a really good question. I, I really enjoy living in big cities. I, I think it is something that I, I always wanted to do. I felt really, I felt really lucky when the opportunity came. Um, Salt Lake was a city, but not a big city like this. Um, but, you know, I don't, that's such a hard question because we've had such a good time. Well, we are having such a good time. 
being sort of an expatriate living in Canada, which is not that far from the U.S. I mean, let's be honest in terms of, of culture and all of that. Um, but if not here, I would love to go back and live in France. I just, I, I lived there for a while. I speak French. I, I was there after high school. And I would love to go back and live in that country for an extended period of time. When you think about living in France, what are the images that come to mind? Well, the part of France I would like to live in is sort of the Haute-Savoie area where it's that blend between mountains and, 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 and sort of the low valleys. Um, and there's a pace of life that I find really, I think, at, at a certain time, I'm, I'm going to find that pace of life very intriguing. <laughs> very different than living in the city, isn't it? Very much so. So when you were going to school and thinking about what you wanted as a career path, where did you think you would end up? I kind of always knew I'd be here. Um, I was, again, born and raised the son of a general manager of a ski resort. Um, and I loved the hospitality industry since my first indentured servitude as a, as a trash collector on Saturdays and emptying trash cans. And my, my dad was always very committed to all of us working at the resort um, uh, to sort of earn our, our privileges at, at the resort. And so I, I loved it from the, the first moment I can remember. And I, I had the opportunities to work in retail, the rental shop, I mean, on-mountain food and beverage. Um, I still think the best job I ever had was when I waited tables at night because you'd ski all day and make way too much money as a you know, <laughs> 19 to 21-year-old and have way too much money that, you know, at your, at your disposal and, and all day to ski and do other things. Um, but I, I, I've, always, I've always known it. I, when I deliberately went to uh, school to get a liberal arts degree because I wanted to be able to communicate, I wasn't looking for a skill or a skill set or so I, I kind of I always knew I wanted to do that. I thought I'd be in the restaurant business, though. I didn't think I'd be here. That that's the part of the industry that intrigued me the most as I was growing up. I just naturally gravitated towards the kitchen and the food and beverage and the whole idea of um, being a server. And, and that was I I loved it. I enjoyed it. I thought it was a noble. Still think it's a very noble profession. Um, so that's where I thought I would end up, and that's where my career was initially was in the restaurant industry. Is it safe to say then that you throw some pretty good dinner parties? <laughs> I, I, I do throw a good dinner party. I still enjoy to cook, um, very much so. And I'm still, a, 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 people laugh at it all the time, but I'm always picking up a plate somewhere, wiping something down, even to this day. So, What's your favorite dish to cook? Ooh, right now I'm really into tacos. Um, and I'm doing this um, really great uh, slaw, like a coleslaw that I found here, that is coleslaw with this really great, uh, I mean, it's, it's like a sriracha sauce, but it's a local sauce to, to um, the Asian community here um, with soy sauce and sugar and rice wine vinegar and oil. And it's this, it is so hot, makes your nose sweat. Mm -hmm. um, so I'm just, I'm really, I've always been, I've always liked tacos and so I'm really into tacos right now, but all like non-meat tacos, vegetarian tacos, turkey tacos, um, butter chicken tacos, like just some really cool stuff from the sort of what's been inspired from here. How are you most like each of your parents? Well, um, I am uh, very um, optimistic and uh, overly rambunctious like my mother. Um, and I love to serve people like my father. What's the best piece of advice you've received? Hmm. Love advice. I've, I've, I've solicited so much. I've received so much. Um, uh, well, I, I think I, a, an early mentor of mine um, who 
had a great connection to his family. He reminded me always to be cognizant of your family. And I have four daughters, and I find myself looking back on that advice all the time and making sure I'm, I'm still staying connected and I'm a part of their lives. What do you think is the best piece of advice you've given? If not, be cognizant of your family. Best piece of advice I've ever given? Um, well, uh, it's not about work. <laughs> I tell people, be the parent that drives your kids home after whatever they do. Be that person that at 1245 at night, you'll go pick up your kids. Because it will keep you connected and you'll learn more about sort of the next generation through music and through what they're talking about than any other way. I, it was the best part of being a father. And it's, the, it's the first piece of, of advice I give to anybody that, that's a parent that asks me. And uh, <laughs> do you remember a time when you were a kid and your parents picked you up late at night and a lesson to be learned? <laughs> Absolutely. Um, don't be 14 and drinking beer and have your mom pick you up and wonder why you're, <laughs> why you're drunk. <laughs> but she still picked you up. She still picked me up. She didn't know I was drunk, to be honest. Um, but when she picked me up, she then knew I was drunk. So, um, but you know, I think that just you know, be smarter about when you when you you know your parents are going to pick you up. <laughs> so, a conversation that I had with someone yesterday is that you know, thank goodness, I grew up in the era before there was a digital record of every single thing that I did in my twenties. Right. Um, what advice would you have for people who are growing up in that era, where they can't just grow from something and leave it behind them, where it might follow them for a while? Um, well, I have shared this with my daughters a lot because I, I have, um, you know, of the la in the last 15, 20 years, hired a lot of people, and especially on the marketing and the social side, when there's a good social community manager who applies, and, and we go back and look at their social feeds and, and do some things, it's, you can really kind of tell of what their sense of place is, their own place in the world, and, 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 how, they, and how they see um, the world. So I tell my daughters, you know, you've really got to be cognizant that what's, what's out there is, is 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 positive, um, and that doesn't how it can't be you know a little bit edgy or piquant or whatever that is, but that is positive, and you're not tearing other people down, you're not tearing yourself down, doing stuff that you know really isn't good for you or for anybody, and just be cognizant that it's it's always going to be out there, and not that that's a bad thing, just recognize that that it's it's very different what 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 can be kept now is is you know in perpetuity for instance, so that's what I've always told people. So there's a big conference in town this week. Yeah. Um, what does it mean to you to be the host city for a conference like Destinations International? Well, I love it when your peers come to visit um, because you know all of the things that you strive to share with visitors and travelers um, are just as relevant for the people who are doing the same thing in other destinations. And I would say that this team and myself we're so proud of of the city we represent. I mean, that's a that's a part, um, you know, our jobs are jobs, they, they are that, but when you can connect with a place you really like and, and, and understand and respect, it just means a lot to, to, to have them here. And then I'm, I'm a former international board chair of the organization. I've, I've given a lot of time and, um, and learned a lot from the organization, and it's just, just an honor to have and just a privilege to be here and have them have, them cho have, have, them have selected Toronto to come to, to be the city, um, then also to be in the, time, in the numbers that they are and the sign of the world that we're in. Um, it's just a real affirmation that a travels, you know, coming back, um, and that we're a great city for meetings and events. And and the one thing about this industry that I've always loved is is that you know we're competitive, but we're more far more collaborative than we are competitive. And so I'm really excited about what we're going to talk about with all the various things that are on our plate in terms of EDI and 
just all the stuff that's out there and workforce development, some really, really big things that we don't directly have an impact on, but we have a really big indirect influence on. How do you see large destinations working together, even though you know, some might see them as competitors? Um, well, there are, def- there are cities we are definitely competing with. But even in that sense, the competition is not as, it, as outsiders view it. So I'll give a, you know, a, a real specific example. So Toronto and Montreal are as competitive of cities as there are in North America. It's Denver and Salt Lake. It's you know, Ch- Chicago and New Orleans. Whatever there are, there's the cities that by nature of geography, GDP, ec- economy just, just compete. But at the same time, we do know that it that a lot of the business is going to rotate, and and it's going to come back to the northeast and to Canada. And one year it's going to be Montreal, and the next three years later it's going to be in Toronto. And that stuff happens, and so we compete really hard, but we also learn. So if if we won, we're going to help Montreal be more competitive next time because we recognize that the international society of otolaryngology is going to choose another destination the next time. Um, and then a lot of it is, you know, the, the cities aren't the same. And if you're the same product, if it's the exact same product and you're trying to, you know, a little nuance like a Pepsi or a Coke, it, it's sort of different. But Montreal is a really different city than Toronto. So when they do select Montreal, a lot of times it's they wanted the French influence. They wanted some other things. And so you can kind of make it work in terms of being competitive. Um, but I think, you know, the large urban destinations are really trying to make sure that we stay relevant in the future. And so we're very collaborative to try to find out what works, um, what, you know, what, what we learn from each meeting. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it's, it is competitive, but there's also a long-term view of the competitiveness. So no one, no one is so cutthroat that they don't at least recognize that if I'm not in the game to be collaborative, it's going to come back to haunt me in the future. If, uh, tell me an, an example of a time when you may have second-guessed yourself and how that worked out. Um, well, we, I launched a campaign in the city um, that was, by any measure, creatively really bold, really clever, thought out really well, and, and I knew that it was going to um, stress the relationship with the key stakeholder. And I didn't do what I knew I should have done, which was meet with them in advance. Um, sort of like an ask, ask forgiveness versus ask permission. Um, and, and I knew it, but I, but I second-guessed myself. I said, ah, no, we can do that. And, and I learned a big lesson, that when you're representing a destination, um, you need to have stakeholder engagement as part of it. And that doesn't mean they have to approve the ads, but the concepts and some of the tone, you've got to talk to very, very strategic stakeholders in ways to make sure they support it because you know the thing I learned from that is we don't own anything and we don't manage anything so we cannot act and assume that level of arrogance that we know it <laughs> and so I again I, I knew it I, I should have done that and I, I, I sort of like oh, nah, nah, and it it was not the right decision do you think people give themselves enough room to fail these days no and that is probably one of the things that um, post-pandemic has been the most on my mind because resources were strapped and resources still are. I mean, we, we are not going to be back to 2019 levels until 2026. Urban, you know, these urban environments between 
corporate travel, business events, and then leisure tourism, VFR, visiting friends and family. That that those four segments are not all back equal. You know, leisure and visiting friends and families is back really, you know, at a very high level, but the other two aren't. And they're gonna take a longer path to get back. Um, and so I think um, yeah, we just we need to be really cognizant that, that we've got a, a long road to hoe and, and, and that's gonna be something we've got to keep in our mind that the resources have become so tight that you just oh, you can't make a mistake. But but we have to. No no one's perfect. We have to live in a world where you don't have the fear of failure, but you learn. I mean, we ought to learn from failure, but we we can't instill this cultural fear that you know if you fail, you're going to lose your job because then no one's going to take the risks that that that, that are important, um, and not risks that are, as I said earlier in my example, risks where you second guess yourself. But but there are risks to, to be had when you start talking about the BIPOC community and a culinary star in the BIPOC community that's not mainstream and the people are going to second guess you. People are going to say, and this could be a wild, wildly successful campaign and it could not be. And we have to have that ability to, to, to make those risks, take those risks. And what are three things you hope visitors for this conference in particular see in Toronto that you might not necessarily hope the average visitor might see? Um, that we are, have really strong community support, that from our, our mayor to our hotel community to the convention center, that we are, we're not battling each other, because that, that is a, an often a problem in our communities, um, that, we, that we're really aligned. I hope they see that there's um, a staff here that functions at a very, very high level in terms of the, the profession that we're in. The catering staff at the center is as good as it gets around the world. They're really, really phenomenal. Um, and the investment in the center that it, it, you know, people see that we're doing it, but they also, they, I hope they feel the swagger, um, that is, uh, you know, our hospitality community and travelers should feel the benefit of that. They should feel the accomplishment. I want these people in the industry to feel the swagger. And what is something you hope they don't notice? That we have a long way to go to recover. <laughs> I hope they think we're like on the just like we're there we're with everybody else. But the fact is, we've got a long way to go. There's a lot less construction on the gardener. <laughs> <laughs> you don't notice as many construction trucks out there. Yeah, this year. Yeah, well, luckily the gardener was was worked on during the pandemic. But boy, I mean, there's um, we were just with the uh, an organization um, called uh, Toronto Global, and they do all the FDI uh, recruitment for the city of. Toronto, and they just shared the stat uh, two days ago at our at our meeting. No, Thursday, so three days ago, three working days ago. Thirty-seven uh, percent of all active cranes in North America are in Toronto, and so there's a lot of construction going on. Um, not necessarily you know road infrastructure, but but in, but infrastructure being built here, um, and the transit lines. So if you go north of the city, like Edmonton, you'd notice like. <laughs> really big disruptions and and sort of what's going on with the new um, transit line that's being mm -hmm. built uh, the new the next uh, subway system the next subway line so and we're almost at twenty minutes is there anything I didn't ask that you wish I did no I don't think so um, Well, I guess the, the one thing that we, we asked a lot is, you know, how, how bad was the pandemic on, on the culture? 
how bad was the closure? And, you know, it, it was bad, but it wasn't as bad, I think, as people think, because there's, the, the residents here are so supportive of, of, of what happened. And so there was a lot of people saying, okay, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to shop local. I'm going to stay committed to that. So I think there's a lot of people that, that somehow believed after the pandemic our entire industry was just wiped out. There was no more restaurants to go to. There was no more theater. There was no more of that. Um, but I think the resiliency of the community has been pretty incredible uh, in terms of how that's bounced back. And again, I think that relates to the, you know, the realization that our sort of the visitor economy is a really a vibrant part of Toronto. And I think that's gonna, that's gonna, that's gonna come to fruition. That's, that, that's gonna help us get back to where we need to very quickly. And if folks wanna learn more or plan a trip to Toronto, how would they go about doing so? DestinationToronto.com. That was easy. Yeah. Excellent. Thank, Thank you. you, kind sir. I appreciate it.